It's time for the latest local, regional, and national sports topics of the day. It's the Sports Fan, presented by J&K Contracting. Ready? Now, from the WATH studios, here's Carl Blaylock. Hi, hello, 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 and welcome into the WATH studios. Carl Blaylock with you, as well as Michael Roth and Dylan Westmeyer. A lot of stuff to talk about today. Gentlemen, we have the Elite Eight for both men's and women's basketball. The men's basketball had three really good games and one team that was absolutely dominant. Uh, kind of had the same, honestly, over on the women's side. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the games that happened last night and preview the Ohio State women's game tonight as they take on Virginia Tech. That's a game you can listen to live on the air here on WATH at 845. Uh, but... We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Lamar Jackson requested a trade about oh, back at the beginning of the month. We'll talk about what that means specifically for my Indianapolis Colts. And we'll look ahead to baseball as opening day is just a few days away. I mean, heck, it's on Thursday. It, do- it doesn't believe like that, but it's on Thursday. But uh, let's start first with the first game uh, out of the four for the men's Elite Eight, and we'll go with Florida Atlantic and Kansas State. The Owls defeated Kansas State 79-76, and, uh, you know, it, it It was surprising. The, the thing that stuck out to me for this game was that last possession by Kansas State. They couldn't do anything on it. They, they, they fumbled around with the ball for six seconds around uh, midcourt and lost the ball. They, they went for a quick two with 10 seconds to go. Um, they, they listened, I guess, to the, uh, to all the, uh, you always have the, the, uh, commentators go, oh, then you just need a quick two here. Get a quick two. And they're wrong. They were wrong here in that situation, especially that last possession was just an absolute mess. Well, in general, they're wrong. It is down three points. It's, it's better to just go for the three, um, instead of going for the two and getting the ball back and fouling. It's, uh. It's not a gigantic difference, um, but I think Ken Palm ran the numbers on that, and um, it's uh, pretty conclusive that it is better uh, when you're down three points to shoot a three. But interestingly enough, down four points, there are situations where it's better to go for a two instead of a three to cut it to a two-point lead instead of going for a three to cut to a one. So that's always interesting. I feel like the color commentators, they just have the crutch, oh, you don't need a three here. And it's like, well, like you, you have to actually like think about the situation instead of just blindly going, don't need a three here. But that would that would require calling commentators to like do more like development and preparation than um, what we usually get. But I mean, the big thing uh, about this game was FAU forced Noel to be a shot maker instead of a distributor. He still had 12 assists, uh, but Noel took 21 shots, which I think was a big difference from uh, the Michigan State game. He kind of only got uh, to as many shots as he did against Michigan State because the game went into overtime, and he still only took 18 shots compared to 19 assists. So he had one more assist than field goal attempts against Michigan State, whereas against FAU, he had nine more shot attempts than assists. The other thing about FAU is they out-rebounded Kansas State 44-22 to despite FAU having a bottom 100 height team in the country. So out of uh, the 360 teams, uh, FAU is one of the 100 shortest teams in the country, but they've done an excellent job rebounding. That's why they're in the Final Four. Absolutely, and only their second tournament appearance, mind you, as well. They made it back in 2002, lost in the first round, and then... Uh, they go on to the uh, Final Four in their second trip. I think the one thing that I loved from this game, uh, post-game, was Jerome Tang, Kansas State's coach, as quickly became one of my favorite college basketball coaches possibly ever. You know, you lose a hard-fought game, he's in he's in the FAU locker room telling them how good of a team they are. Like, that, I mean, that just speaks to it. And he he's really built it up over the entire season. Look at what he's done in year one at Kansas State, but it's awesome to see. Is that not weird to you? Like, if I was an athlete and, like, we just beat a team and the opposing coach came in, I'd be like, dude, like, I don't really need it right now. Also, Jerome Tang's PR team, they work overtime. They work on Sundays. They work Tuesday morning. Jerome Tang's PR team, like, whoever he's got going, 
I think he could their his PR team could just make literally anybody look like the most likable guy ever because whenever Jerome Tang does something somehow there's always a camera there catching it like it is incredible the guy is he has PR it's a science to him and he just nails it every time but I I don't know Dylan and Carl you can speak in if you just want a game would you want the opposing coach coming in the locker room I I find it kind of weird I I think it's a sign of respect I think it's kind of weird. I do think no. it's a little weird. No, like, maybe, like, you know, in the press conference, in the press conference, the coach saying something about, like, hey, you know, they were a good team or whatever. But, like, coming into the locker room, I feel like that's, like, that's, like, my space, you know? Like, like that's my team's space. I, I feel like it's a sign of respect. I, I really do. Like, I mean, if you if you beat the team and then the team, you know, especially being a, an underdog, if you come in, if you have the opposing coach come in and go, hey, you guys are really good. Like, I, let, let go far. Like, come on. That, that's that's. I, I would I would respect I, I respect the heck out of them for it. Do it in the press conference. No, that's I, the I, whole I, point I, of the press conference. They're gonna ask I, you a question and be like, "Hey, they played a good game. They're a good team. I think they can go far." Well, why can't? I feel like it's much more personal because who on the team, who on the opposing team, is going to watch the press conference? You know, for the opposing coach, nobody, nobody's going to. But. If you go in there and you talk with them, no, I, I really think it's a huge sign of respect. It's, it's It just feels weird to have an opposing coach in my locker room. I feel like that that's, that's how I would feel. I know I didn't play organized basketball in high school or anything, but I had never heard of like this ever. Do, do, do you think this has ever happened? Oh, uh, so I think Coach K did it uh, many years ago, and I think like people kind of roasted him for, for doing it. So I don't I – don't, I'm not 100% sure about that, but I think Coach K has done it once before. Well, we'll see. But either way, FAU's going to the Final Four. Joining them from Saturday's game with UConn, who absolutely crushed Gonzaga. It, it wasn't a game. It wasn't. It was close at the half, and then UConn outscored them 43-22 in the second half. And most of that was done early. That was UConn just went on a huge run, and it was over. I know how on Friday I was talking to uh, Cedric about this game, the the UConn game, I believe, that happened before the Friday night game. I can't remember. UConn against Arkansas. It was me and you. I was talking about how UConn Mm -hmm. could get really hot. And um, I think they got hot at the right time. I mean, two huge wins going into the Final Four. And they're going up against the Miami team, who's also coming off of two really good wins. But, I mean, I don't know. UConn, to me, looks like the best team left out of these four. But... Obviously, I would. I don't think I would have said that at the beginning of the tournament, and you see how the tournaments went. So, I mean, if I had to make a pick, I would pick UConn over Miami, and then UConn over whoever wins the San Diego State FAU game. But they could, for for all I know, they could lose to Miami. Yeah, UConn is an interesting story because uh, coming into the tournament, uh, most analytic. Uh, predictive metrics had UConn fourth or fifth in the country, and they get a four seed. Now, now some of that was due to UConn's midseason uh, slump in the Big East, and another factor for that was UConn blew a lot of teams out in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Find out about this. Every team UConn's played this year, not from the Big East, double-digit win. That is impressive. Every team they played in the non-conference, double-digit win, Every team they played in the NCAA tournament, double-digit win. It's like 16 games for them against non-Big East competition, like 14 or 16. In every single one, it's been a double-digit win for the UConn Huskies. That is incredible. And I think it speaks to how strong the Big East has been this year. I mean, I was I, Mountain West was my favorite conference this year, but I, I think the Big East was probably the best conference this year. And they had they had two teams face off against each other in probably the most controversial game of the four from this weekend. San Diego State played Creighton. Creighton loses as they foul a San Diego State player on a shot with two seconds to go. Uh, one of two free throws for San Diego State. Creighton inbounds the ball, and it was just a whole mess of ref ball there. There was about six different things he had to look at. Uh, they decided that the ball touched out of bounds when uh, zeros hit the clock, and so all right, that's it, game over. San Diego State wins 57-56, and 
I guess first, I want to get you guys' opinion on the foul call. Because what it was is the guy went up for the shot. He went up for the shot. Uh, the Creighton player kind of had his arm, kind of gave him a little bit of a forearm shiver while he was shooting the ball, uh, while he was in the air. I think it's a good call. It, it, it's it's a, you know, I can see the it's a tough call. Um, I, I can see the it's a tough call, you know, in that situation. But it's a foul. You got a call if it's a foul, and it's a foul. I think it it was a good call, but it was also disappointing that that was how the game ended. I think both things can be true, where there was too much contact to ignore because you can tell when he shoots the shot and gets bumped, it, it like takes him off his spot. But also, it's so anticlimactic to watch a dude get two free throws with one point two seconds left, knowing if he just makes one. That's the game, and I don't think anybody would have complained getting to watch overtime, but um, at the end of the day, if you're Creighton, you just had a little bit too much contact to ignore, and um, I think everybody knew right when that play happened, the game was virtually over. Yeah, yeah I didn't get to watch the game exactly as I was as I was telling Carl, I was doing a lot of tennis things this weekend, but... Um, Seeing a one-point loss and a free throw to end the game, I don't think anyone likes to watch, personally. I know when it comes down in a tennis match, like I said, on match point for a double fault to happen, and that's how it ends, it's like, dude, that sucks. That just really sucks for your opponent. I mean, sometimes you don't even feel great about the win anymore because it's on a free throw, but looking at the stats right now, I think... I think okay. we got a point at Creighton's three-point shooting, eleven point eight percent from the field. Does like that's not you're not going to win games with that. And that speaks to San Diego State's defense. I mean, the Aztecs have had great defense all year. I remember back in November around Thanksgiving break, uh, Ohio State was playing San Diego State, and that was a big thing you heard was San Diego State's defense is very very good. And San Diego State it wasn't great that night. I think the Buckeyes were able to put up over seventy, still lost by about ten or fifteen, but. You know that, that that's that's been the calling card for the Aztecs all year, and they definitely pulled it out. Uh, Dylan, it's funny that you said um, the way you won the game from like the winning team's perspective. The like most insane basketball game of my career. It was a JV game. It went into triple overtime. We hit a three-quarter court shot to send it into double overtime. They hit a buzzer beater in the fourth quarter, a three-pointer at the buzzer to send into OT. Then we hit one to send into double OT. In triple OT, we foul a kid with half a second left. Uh, We were up one point. He misses the first, makes the second lane violation, and we end up winning the game. And I'm going to be honest, still incredibly happy that we won, even though it was on a lane (laughs) violation. We thought, we actually thought it was a bad call, and the ref just wanted to get out of there. We watched the film back over, and it was actually a lane violation. So we were like, nice, he nailed the call, <laughs> and we won the game. So that was funny that you were like, I don't know how the team, like, with the free throw feels about winning. Oh, we won on a lane violation, and we were stoked because it was a triple OT game. And that you was had, a JV game. They managed the final four. <laughs> we, yeah, and we had, it, it was so funny because then the varsity game played, and it was considerably louder for the double OT in the JV game well, that, than it was at the varsity that's game. The, that that's night. the way it works. That's the way it works. You always get more involved with that and then you're kind of tired out at that point but looking at the last game from the weekend texas against miami uh i know i'm watching this game and i'm going all right texas is up 13 i'm done with it you know this game's over i flipped on the nascar race it's over and then i look at my phone and i'm like are you kidding me texas miami went on a huge run to the end of this game Uh, texas is up 12 they're up 64 51 with 13 30 to go and well, then you know what happened poof. you know what happened when it was 64 51 miami had the inbounds play on the baseline and threw it off texas's back and got the dunk on the baseline and that sparked their like 36 to 12 run to win the game it, it was that play right there the one of the most classic out of bounds plays in basketball where the defense the guy guarding the inbounder isn't looking at the ball and you throw it right off his back. You get inbounds and you dunk it. It's very rarely pulled off, but that kind of flip momentum, even though um, momentum like doesn't fully exist. But um, that certainly was kind of funny that that sparked a run. Um, and then Miami, it, it just seemed like all game they were just down like eight to ten points. And you were like, it feels over, but also 
it was close enough where if they got hot and Texas went cold, they could win the game. And that's exactly what happened at the end. And Jim Laranega uh, taking two very unique schools to the Final Four in yeah. Miami and George Mason, 17 years apart. 17 years to the day that he took George Mason, defeated, he had uh, the Patriots defeat Kansas. Uh, same, same day, which is absolutely in, insane. Uh, for Rodney Terry, his first... He, he got he got the interim tag removed this morning, which is a great move by Texas, mind you. It's really impressive what Terry was able to do throughout the entire situation through there. I really thought the Longhorns, it was going to be between the Longhorns and the Huskies for UConn uh, for the two teams. But I think the biggest performance from the game was Jordan Miller, who did not miss a shot. Seven for seven from the f- field. 13 for 13 from the free throw line, 27 points. That's impressive. I mean, yeah. I mean, even in high school ball, it's hard to, you know, go perfect. I mean, imagine college, it's even harder. So, I mean, being able to be that disciplined, taking the shots that you know that you're going to, you know, be able to make, and then going, what was it, 13 for 13 from the line, I mean... I know that that's more and more common nowadays from guards to be, you know, phenomenal three or phenomenal free throw shooters. Sorry, and uh, but still making thirteen in a row in a high pressure game like this in an elite eight game is phenomenal for that um, for Miller. And I mean, again, seven for seven from the field, just taking smart shots, and that's what's going to win you games in, in the long run is taking the smart shots, shooting a high field goal percentage. I mean, you look at the stats for this one. Miami shot 59% from the field, only 25% from three, but they were getting high-quality two shots. And, I mean, you shoot 60% for almost 60% from the field, you're going to win a lot of games. I mean, Carl, if you're looking at most of the most of the guys on their roster, I mean, four for six from the field, six for seven from the field, six for 12, five for 12, seven for seven. I mean, I understand some of those, you know, may not look the best, but most of their guys are shooting well over 50% from the field. You're normally going to win a game like that. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and it sets up really interesting matchups for the tournament. I'm very interested to see what ends up happening with uh, FAU San Diego State. I'm hoping the Aztecs take the victory. Um, are, are you surprised by that? No. Mountain West supremacy, baby. You bet I was beating my chest both Friday night and Sunday afternoon. Well, Carl, you know what's great? If San Diego State wins this game and then loses in the national championship game, the Mountain West will have gone a whopping 500 in March Madness. Just a dominant effort by the Mountain West to potentially go 500 incredible i don't like going 500 the same amount of wins as losses that is wow hang the banner for the mountain west for that we went wow i mean it's almost like it's almost like it's better than pretty much every other conference except for the big east wow well the ivy league went to okay the ivy league yeah Um, the ivy league the one bit ivy league okay imagine like the sec or the the, uh the acc actually probably had a winning record because like duke won a game miami's in the final four i know virginia lost early um, but I, I think there were a couple. Game. Yeah, I think there were a couple. Uh, a couple conferences that might go above five hundred. Uh, conference I USA, mean, they definitely. Oh, conference are going USA, above yeah. What what conference is Gonzaga in again? Uh, oh, the w- West Coast mm, Conference. So they would have won above five hundred. For sure, they only had oh, yeah. two teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah they won a game. That's Come true. on, Carl. Jeez. And Gonzaga won two, so they went three and two. Yeah, there you go. They're over five hundred. They're doing better than the Mountain West. Get owned, Carl. Yeah. anyways it almost was a dream weekend for miami athletics though uh as their women's team you know they had a they've had a very very awesome run they knocked out uh indiana last monday uh led a lot by a lot of you know a lot of really good t or a lot of really good players on there uh the cavender twins are on there for miami tiktok stores um, unfortunately, their run came to an end in a sort of ugly game. 54-42 LSU defeats Miami. Um, some team stats from this one. Both teams shot. Miami did not make a three in this game. Um, they LSU only shot 8% from the three as well. But uh, yeah, a big win for the Tigers. So My favorite part of that game, I, I didn't watch this game at all, but 
at the end of the third quarter, LSU's coach is getting interviewed. And not only does LSU's coach wear the most extravagant outfits you would ever imagine, but she's getting interviewed and she's literally like, if I was watching this game on TV, I would have turned it off and started watching something else. It's been bad <laughs> basketball. And she's like, so what are you going to do? She's like, hopefully we start making layups, free throws, and we win the game and never think about it again. And it was like, you know what? That's, a, that's, how, that's how I'm sure her players feel too. They're like, we played garbage, but we found a way to win. So hopefully hopefully in the final four, they uh, put a couple more shots in the basket. I assume, um, do they now play uh, Iowa in the No, the no, game? they're on the other side. They're, they're on the other side. Oh, uh, interesting how they split up the sides. Uh, yeah. Opposite oh, days. I think the men's did that too, actually. Yeah, the men's, yeah, the men's did, did that as well. That as well, yeah. So uh, the nightcap, though, that was must wa- much watch bas- much must watch basketball. Uh, mostly because of Iowa guard Caitlin Clark, who had the first forty point triple double ever in any tournament history. Men's, women's, either of them. She had forty one points on a triple double. Yeah, she's good. I mean, I-, I don't know what else to say. She's she's really freaking good and. I mean, I know I was listening to some people talk about the tournaments before the tournament started, like, you know, just watching, like, Sports Center and stuff like that. And a lot of teams were like, or a lot of people were like, yeah, Caitlin Clark's going to take this Iowa team far, but they don't think that Iowa's going to be able to win because they don't have the depth of some of these other teams. And, I mean, I don't know. If, if, if she's able to continue dropping, like, 40-point triple doubles, I think that team's going to be pretty pretty dang hard to beat. Yeah, just uh, just an incredible uh, performance by Clark, and she's somebody who, who has been doing this uh, all season, really her whole career. Um, just a unique skill set, a six foot guard um, or a six foot point guard for the women's game. Six foot is actually very tall um, for a point guard. You know, she averages seven rebounds, eight and a half assists a game. Um, her her combination of uh, three-point shooting out to 25, 28 feet, and also her incredible passing ability. It is uh, one of the most unique talents to watch. It was interesting. Um, the player who had the highest-scoring triple-double in March Madness before this, men or women's, uh, it was somebody was tied with Dwayne Wade for Marquette against Kentucky. I thought that was pretty interesting that Dwayne Wade tied um, the old record that Caitlin Clark it was just like smashed 28, 29 points and 29. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. And it was, Clark, so nobody had even scored 30, 30. with a triple double mm-hmm. and she gets 40 and a triple double had, she had 41 point or 41 points, 10 rebounds, 12 assists. And she shot eight for 14 from three. Yeah. She shot like 60% from three insane, insane performance. And this isn't even, it's not regular for her, but it isn't, like, out of the ordinary. You know what I mean? In the uh, Big Ten championship game against Ohio State, she had 30 points, 10 rebounds, 17 assists. Yeah. Like, it's, it wasn't just a regular Tuesday for Caitlin Clark, but it wasn't all that far off from a regular Tuesday for her. Uh, absolutely not. In the Big Ten, you know, where, the, where in the men's game, the Big Ten has been lacking in the tournament lately. The women have really stepped up as the Buckeyes tonight, Ohio State, after their huge win over UConn, uh, the first the first time since, I don't know if you all saw this stat, this is an unbelievable stat, first time since 2007 that UConn has not made the Final Four in the women's basketball. That's 2007. Nice. That was before Obama was president. We were five. <laughs> I was seven. You were seven. I was five. <laughs> I was also five. But um, that that's that's crazy. I mean, if you even you think of like you know the historic teams in in, in men's college basketball, you know you think of Duke, you think of Kansas, you UCLA think of teams, UCLA. I don't think any of those teams even scratch how long UConn was in the Final Four for. The only, the only one that could say is maybe UCLA. UCLA had 10 straight Final Fours back with Wood, and that's the only one you could consider. But, I mean, outside of UCLA, I mean, UCLA is like the only team that might even come close to having 16 Final Four appearances, period. And UConn's had that straight. I mean, it was it was an incredible run, but a great job by the Buckeyes to really just shut them down. And they shut them down with the turnovers. UConn had 25 turnovers on Saturday. 
Yeah, big uh, big injuries for UConn kind of piled up this year and uh, caused them to have a very disappointing year by Gino Oriema standards, losing in the Sweet 16. Man, if that was an awful year for <laughs> yeah. a lot of other programs. But um, quick shout-out to Ohio State. Uh, one of their leading scorers, J.C. Sheldon, sister of Ohio Bobcat point guard, AJ Sheldon, so she will be looking to advance the Buckeyes to the Final Four tonight. Uh, JC had 17 points uh, against UConn, which was second on the Buckeyes. So little uh, connection to Athens right there for uh, anybody tuning in. 9 p.m. on ESPN, so it's got the prime time yeah. selection uh, for all the Bobcat fans. You want to root on uh, a men's basketball player's sister who will hopefully be going to the final four tonight they can do that on espn and we'll have it on right here on the radio at 8 45 right here on w-a-t-h we'll take a time out when we come back we'll talk about lamar jackson where could he go could he be a cult we'll talk about it after the break you're listening to the sports fan presented by j and k contracting what does the 50th anniversary of title nine mean it means i'm valued i'm empowered i can do anything It means I'll pave the way for every girl who plays high school sports in the future. Just like every female student, coach, official, and administrator blazed the trail for me. Because every student deserves the opportunity to play. Encourage girls you know to participate in Ohio high school sports. This message presented by the OHSAA and the Ohio Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, I'm Kim. And this is Ruth. Please join us every Wednesday morning on 970 WATH to make it happen. It's the Kim and Ruth Show. Well, it's probably not, it's the, not the Kim and Ruth Show. It's really... <laughs> I don't know. Tune in to Make It Happen with Kim and Ruth every Wednesday morning at 10.06. And we'll spend time talking about health and wellness topics and all aspects of healthy living. But we know that you're the real expert in your health, so let us help you make it happen. Wednesday morning on 970 WATH to make it happen. You're listening to 970 WATH and the Sports Fan. This is the Sports Fan. Carl Blaylock, Dylan Westmeyer, Michael Roth with you on this edition for this Monday, March 27th. It's sunny out. It's nice. It's It's actually spring. Yeah. I mean, I know I can attest to it as, I mean, I was out playing tennis for 11 hours yesterday. It was absolutely gorgeous yesterday, and it is absolutely gorgeous today. I'm so happy to have good weather. Yeah, absolutely. The the flowers are blooming on the trees. They are. It just makes everything around campus just look so much prettier. You know, we got trees in my apartment complex, trees all around Peden on South. The cherry blossoms. The cherry blossoms. blossoms. We love we love the cherry blossoms. It's feeling that thanks to being in Athens instead of being in Cleveland, it kind of feels like baseball weather. Um, but I know that's gonna be our last segment of the day. So first off, we're gonna we're gonna hit the NFL before we talk about baseball, but it's feeling like some baseball weather. It is. It really is. And Lamar Jackson, you know, I, I think it's nicer weather in Indianapolis and Baltimore, right? You got to agree. It's off the seaboard. You know, it, it's it's not as wet. You play home games in a dome. It is always 70 degrees. A retractable roof dome. Well, it's always 70 degrees and sunny <laughs> for Colts home games, no matter what. 70 degrees and sunny. Absolutely. It'd be nice for Lamar Jackson. Plus, we have all our uh, games in the south, so that means that he doesn't have to worry about playing in 20-degree snowstorms up in Cleveland in December. But Lamar Jackson requested a trade. He tweeted this out. Actually, nice gamemanship with this. During right before John Harbaugh's media availability at the uh, league meeting, which... Hey, more power to him for that. That that was a smart play. Harbaugh immediately, he found out from the reporters, and he's immediately on the back foot, Uh, especially since Jackson, this has been in the works since March 2nd. He requested a trade March 2nd. Seems like you don't need an agent to still make some, like, kind of savvy, like, business decisions. Uh, Not saying that Lamar shouldn't have an agent, but despite not having one, like you mentioned, Carl, a very power play, and that's the other reason why this didn't get out is because Lamar doesn't have an agent. So there was no agent being like, hey, Lamar's on the trade block. Like, Adam, like, get it going. 
Um, seems like he was just letting the Ravens do their thing. And it seems like Baltimore wasn't budging. So now Lamar is like, I'm going to force your hand and be like, hey, you got to make a move because this is uh, this is not going to fly. And I think, uh, I think opening up a trade will have more teams get involved as opposed to being forced to offer Lamar the contract and allowing the Ravens to match the deal. I think this is going to boost his interest because the way that the uh, franchise tag works for another team trying to sign him. Yeah, you, you, get, you, you have to give up two first-round picks and, and it, have... It locks up your money. You don't know if you're actually going to get him. It's just a weird situation that disincentivizes the team that would want to sign him. Where in a trade, yeah. there's no where the Ravens go, oh, you know, we're, we're actually just going to match this contract. It, it's a trade, so you get him no matter what. I think that held some teams back that might get more involved now because you might not have to give two first-round picks. It might be a first and a second, a first and a third, a first and a second and a third. It might not be just that blanket two first-round picks. I, I hadn't even heard of the uh, the tag, the non-exempt franchise tag that the Ravens put on. I don't know. I, I can't think of another time it had ever been used before. But I think the big thing is it opens it up for my Colts. And I was sitting there, and I was kind of sitting there wondering to myself, do I want Lamar Jackson on my team? And I, Roth, I know we talked about this um, off air quite a lot on how you think I'm an idiot for even questioning this, but let, let me get my case out there first. Let me get my case out there first with this is he is very good when he's healthy. Can he stay healthy? Can he stay healthy? Because here's the thing. The Ravens the last few years, they have been great. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league when he's healthy. And then he's not healthy, and it all goes away. They completely fall apart. I, I I don't know if I trust him to stay healthy, especially considering look at look at the Colts quarterbacks the last few years. Um, literally, look at how all three Colts quarterbacks last year got hurt behind that offensive line. The highest, one of the highest paid offensive lines in the league, might I mention? Um, so I I I just I. That is my reasoning where I'm sitting there and I'm going like, as much as it would be great, if it works out great, it works out incredibly. Like, I'm not going to complain if I have Lamar Jackson on my team over Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. But I'm a little bit wary of, is he going to stay healthy? So Lamar has missed 14 out of 79 career starts. That in the grand scheme of things, that isn't that many games missed due to injury. He's playing over 80% of games. The other thing is in the NFL, to be a contender, you either have a quarterback that you win with or a quarterback that you win because. Jimmy G, a quarterback that you win with. Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback that you win because. Joe Burrow, a quarterback that you win because. Those guys elevate the spare parts. Where in like Jimmy G's case, the rest of the team elevates him to get to a point where you're contending. Lamar is a quarterback that you win because of. Lamar does things to help you win. And whenever a player like that hits the market, teams that are close should go for it. I, I don't know if the Colts are the perfect team for Lamar to be traded to. However... I think 20 teams should be looking to trade for Lamar. I The Colts are one of the 20, but I don't know if they would be the top team to trade for they're, Lamar. They're high on the list, though. I think, I think you look at teams, especially in the NFC. The NFC, you looks... need to strike right now because the NFC is so weak. Open. You look at Philadelphia, San Francisco, <clears throat> maybe Dallas. That's it of nfc teams that i feel good about at all um if you are any other team in the nfc you should be very 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 seriously looking to make this move a couple teams kind of tied their hands behind their back with like the giants yeah. and also the seahawks giving contract extension extensions i'm not sure if they would try to make a move like the rams made with matthew stafford where you saw stafford go to the rams and jared goff go to the Lions. I, I don't know if a team like the Giants would give up Daniel Jones after just paying him, also the Seahawks, but I think if you are the Lions, if you are the Commanders 
Um, if you are the Falcons, I, you want to be mm-hmm. lining up because with how weak the NFC is, Lamar can be the difference between you winning six games and you winning 11 games. And 11 wins in the NFC is probably going to make you the three seed unless you're in the same division as the Niners or the Eagles, which um, basically if you're in the NFC North or NFC South, try and make this move. Obviously, like the Saints can't because they have no money and just got Derek Carr. But basically every other team in those two divisions, like try and make this move. I, I think the only ones that really have any semblance of a chance to, I really think, in the NFC, because I don't think the Lions will. I really don't. And I, I know, I, I just, I can't see the Lions doing it. I think it's probably going to be down between the Commanders and the Falcons. I, I think the top, the top four or five teams at this moment for Lamar are probably the Commanders, the Falcons, the Colts. Um, we'll say the Titans. Maybe the Titans. I mean, that that, that might be that, that might be one to throw in there. Though a little bit, mm, their their money situation is not ideal. They would have to figure out something to do with Tannehill. But what I think, I think the Lions should do it. That's the only one I think should be a little bit more invested. The ultimate power play would be the Green Bay Packers securing their third straight Hall of Fame quarterback. That would be the ultimate power play. because They already many, got Jordan Love. Isn't he going to be a Hall of Famer? Did <laughs> you see what Andy Reid said about Jordan Love today? No. So uh, one game in the 2020 season, Rodgers had COVID, and he didn't get to start. It was in Kansas City. Jordan Love had to start. That was the game where the Chiefs put Jordan Love's family at like the very top row, and there was like a shot of them. And it was like, man, rough, rough seats. But a reporter asked Andy Reid about Jordan Love. And Andy Reid was like, who are you talking about? Where are you talking about? Like, he didn't even know who Jordan Love was. And then when he finally, like, kind of realized who it was, he was like, oh, yeah, like, he, he did a good job. Like, you could tell he was just lying through his teeth. Like, the Packers, if they want to win, it's I, knock on wood, it ain't going to be with Jordan Love. So if they figure out a way to get Lamar... Would they be the favorites to win the NFC North with Lamar Jackson next year? I think they kind of have to be. It's either I them feel, or the I feel like they're already kind of the uh, oh the Packers. The Packers, yes, I, I would say the Packers, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, is, is that something that I, I think what what the Colts do? What the Colts do with this is they can offer draft capital, and that's something that really no other team on that board can do. If you trade, if you trade Lamar Jackson to the Colts, the Ravens are getting back that number four pick. They're going to be able to draft either Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, whomever they want out of those two. Or maybe they want to go with Hendon Hooker, who would pretty much just be—it would literally just be—I can't believe it's not Lamar Jackson, really. Um, but except he, he would literally be older. Uh, but I, I feel like that's one of the advantages that the Colts have, and I, I think I kind of I kind of want this deal to be done with the Colts, and we're going to see. And you know, Jim Irsay, you, you've seen the tweets and everything. You know, Jim Irsay is going to be all over it. But we'll see. We'll take a time out when we come back. We'll preview opening day as that's just a few days away here on the Sports Fan, presented by J and K Contracting. Attention Athens and surrounding areas, 970 WATH, 97.3 FM, and Power 105 WXTQ is your hometown source for all things Athens and southeastern Ohio. Keep it tuned here for local news and happenings that is important to our communities. If your nonprofit group or organization has an upcoming event and you want to get the word out and let folks know, send us the information to PSA at WXTQ.com or drop it off by our studios during business hours now located at 223 Columbus Road in Athens. Once again, that's PSA at WXTQ.com or drop them off by our new location at 223 Columbus Road in Athens. Keeping Athens and surrounding communities in touch and informed, we are your hometown radio station. 970 WATH 97.3 FM and Power 105 WXTQ. Quality that's through the roof. 
T-Bay Roofing, your certified GAF Master Elite Contractor, has expanded operations to now serve the greater Athens County, Ohio area. T-Bay brings their GAF Golden Pledge Warranty for up to 50 years to Athens, and it's even transferable once to the next homeowner. Put your trust in the Mid-Ohio Valley's premier roofing contractor. Get started with a free call to 844-PRO-ROOF, and T-Bay will get you a free estimate within 24 hours. That's 844-PRO-ROOF. Put your trust in the Mid-Ohio Valley's premier roofing contractor. Get started with a free call to 844-PRO-ROOF and T-Bay will get you a free estimate within 24 hours. That's 844-PRO-ROOF. Now serving the Athens, Ohio areas. Find out more at tbayroofing.com. Quality that's through the roof. T-Bay Roofing. Now for more of the Sports Fan on 970 WATH. This is the Sports Fan on this Monday, March 27th. And on March 30th, we got Reds baseball back. The glory of Reds baseball. Uh, the oh, the opening day might not be that watchable. Well, it might be more watchable for Reds fans than what it will be Pirates fans. Reds and the Pirates play on opening day. Um, I don't know why. why. Why would you put that game opening day? Um, Mitch Keller is the starting pitcher for the Pirates, which I think is hilarious. Um, he's going to be going up against Hunter Green for the Reds. But, uh, I mean, baseball's coming up down in the southern part of the state down here for the Reds. Yeah, not, not much hope. Joey Votto, for the first time in 14 years, he's not going to be on the opening day roster. He's going to start the season on the IL. Oh, it, it just, ick. Ick. It's it's not a good time to be a baseball fan in Cincinnati. But, hey, where are you going to go? Yeah, probably the best place to go would be up in Cleveland. Uh, not for opening day. They're out in Seattle. And how about this pitching matchup? I, this is this is something I might stay up for and see if I can even find on my television, actually. You know, because uh, who knows where those games are going to be broadcast. Are they still going to be on Bally Sports? Probably. I believe all Guardians games are on Bally Sports. Well, well they, they were one of the they were one of those four teams that like they were like selling the rights or something like that, along with the Reds. So I'm not entirely sure what that means, but there if I can find somewhere to watch it, I will be watching the Guardians Shane and Bieber. the Mariners. How about this pitching matchup to start the season off? Shane Bieber and Luis Castillo. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, that's two Cy Young candidates right there. And I mean, I mean, I know you want to see more offense in the MLB, but I don't think there's going to be much offense in this one. I'll tell you that. I won't complain about it. Roth, what do you think? Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Cleveland builds off the momentum for last season because they had youngest team in the MLB last year managed to win an awful division. Uh, somehow the, the coastal elites have dominated baseball because the central divisions in the AL and the NL are not any good. They they were good for like a little bit in the mid-2010s, and then after the Brewers lost Game 7 of, I believe, the 2018 NLDS. Yes, it would have been the 2018 NLDS against the Dodgers. After they lost that, the central divisions have been terrible. I don't yep. think they've won a playoff series. Oh no, uh, they won a wild card. They won the wild card series. Yeah, who won? But Cleveland won. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Won series. Um, but I think that's going to be interesting because uh, it's obviously it, the MLB season is such a grind. But I, I think if you're Cleveland, you don't want to get behind the eight ball against like Minnesota or Chicago in the divisional race. And I think it's going to be important to not get off to a slow start. You don't need to be five games over 500 by the time April's over, but at worst you can be like two games below 500 and figuring things out. So uh, I think that for, for Cleveland keeping the guys that you won with last year, they did a good job in the off season, added a couple positions. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see how the lineup kind of fills out with a couple of the off season acquisitions that they made, but it's uh it's an exciting time to be a baseball fan of the Cleveland guardians. I think the biggest question in the AL Central is, is this finally the year that Chicago and the White Sox and the Twins really start, you know, living up to their potential? Like, the Twins have a star-studded roster. 
They just never can put it together. And the White Sox, maybe they'll be a little bit better with Larusa finally gone. That was an awful hire to begin with. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that the Guardians are on the front edge of everything at the moment. I think they're really the central, either the AL or NL Central's only hope to really do anything in the postseason. But we'll see. Really quickly, just based off of the teams, uh, to start off with, who, who would you say early season is your World Series favorite? Roth, we'll start with you. Uh, I think you got to look at the Astros as the World Series favorite. You know, defending champs um, filled in some holes from their team last year. I mean, like you sign um, uh, they sign first baseman from the White Sox, right, um, in the offseason. Abreu. Jose Abreu, yeah. Yep. So I just feel like if you're a team like Houston defending champs, um, as much as I don't like them as a uh, team and organization, uh, they they have a very complete team, and they got better. They didn't just rest on their laurels. Um, so I, I think if you're looking at a World Series favorite, Houston has to be my pick. And for me, I don't know. There's a, there's a couple of teams I'm looking at here who are playing on opening day, and I'm like, eh, they could, you know, possibly win. But, I mean, on the other side of the dish, I think you got to say the Dodgers and the NL. I mean, they're going to be good every single year, and their pitching is always really, really solid. So, I mean, you can't fault a team that's got good pitching in the playoffs. For me, I I want to give it to, like, a small market team that, uh, you know, I want to I see the small market teams and spend big prove themselves that, hey, small market's a myth. Uh, and as much as I don't like this team, I really think they turn the corner this year, San Diego. Especially, like, I think they, if Fernando Tatis wasn't an idiot, uh, I think they win. I think they win the pennant last year. Uh, I mean, they were what one series away from it. So I think they just they got that extra piece, uh, as well as a few other moves in the off season. I, I think the Padres. They're a little bit of a dark horse, but I think the Padres get it done. I, I think they might be my early season World Series champion. But we'll see. A lot of baseball to be played, and heck, half the time. They really underperform just as bad as the Twins. So we'll have to see. We'll take a timeout. When we come back, we'll have our surefire hot picks and talk about the Cavs clinching a playoff berth. You're on the Sports Fan, presented by J&K Contracting. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Ohio. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the OHSAA and the Ohio Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Stay informed about the stock market from Goldsberry Wealth Strategies. Weekdays at 5.30 on 970 and 97.1 FM, WATH. The report follows the news. Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Goldsberry Wealth Strategies is not a broker-dealer and is independent of RJFS. From concrete to roofing to siding and windows, J&K Contracting has you covered from the ground up. Whether it's a room addition, a complete home build, or your commercial projects, let the professionals at J&K be of service from groundbreaking to completion. And don't forget they accept all major credit cards. They even have free seamless gutters with every complete roof installation. Don't hesitate to call J&K Contracting at 740 740- 4-0-6-9-8-35-21 for a free estimate. This is the Sports Fan on 970 WATH. Carl Blaylock, Dylan Westmeyer, Michael Roth with you, and it's time to make our surefire hot picks for this Monday afternoon. And I'll start with mine, and I'm taking a little bit of a layup, I'll be honest. Uh, we talked about three of the four Elite Eight games for the Women's National Championship there, March Madness. And uh, the one we didn't talk about was South Carolina-Maryland. And uh, South Carolina has dominated about everybody. We talked about LSU making the Final Four. Um, South Carolina beat them by 25 twice. They beat them by 20, 25 points uh, both times they played them this season. Uh, they're 14.5-point favorites over Maryland tonight. Give me the Gamecocks. I, I think I think that South Carolina takes care of it. I know that's a very large spread, but uh, I, I think I think they do get it done. So that is my surefire hot pick. I'll go next then, and um, I think 
I mean, this may not be as much of a layup as NBA basketball is, you know, does have a lot of parity, but I think I'm going to take the Nuggets minus seven tonight. They're at home. The Sixers are without Joel Embiid. Um, I don't think I really see this one being too close of a matchup with Embiid being out for the Sixers. Uh, so my pick is uh, going to be Detroit plus 12 and a half against the Bucks. Detroit's at home. No Giannis, no Drew Holiday for the Bucks, And uh, despite Milwaukee having the best record in the NBA, Milwaukee's average point differential only plus 4.3 teams better than them. Boston, Cleveland, Philadelphia, and Memphis. So Milwaukee doesn't blow a lot of teams out. They win a lot of close games. No Giannis, no Drew. I'm going to take Detroit plus 12 and a half tonight at home and that'll be interesting and i know we'll hit a lot on it more tomorrow as we've got uh really our two best people you know the two people who know the most nba uh with darius sethna and you roth tomorrow on the sports fan but how about the Cavs clinching uh playoff spot last night with their victory uh they defeated the rockets 108 91 first first i saw this stat First uh, playoff appearance for the Cavs without LeBron since 97-98, I believe. Well, yeah, when he, when he's with the franchise for like 12 years and goes to the playoffs in 10 of those, I'm not feeling too bad that it's been so long. Like, if you really think about it, the Cavs have missed the playoffs for, what, five years before they got LeBron, and then the four years that he was in Miami— and then another four years. That's like 12 years in total. Um, I mean, the Kings are going to snap a like 19-year streak. Um, so I, I know it does kind of matter, but as a Cavs fan, it's not like, oh, no, we haven't made the playoffs without LeBron in 25 years. It's We, we made the playoffs with LeBron a lot while I was growing up, and I enjoyed I enjoyed that too. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we went through the great years with LeBron, and then when LeBron was gone, it was a little rough, but – I mean, this is the first year we have a pretty solid young team. I'm really happy watching them. I love watching the young guys that we have, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley. I mean, they're fun to watch. Naturally, when you lose the best player in the league twice, it takes time to rebuild. And that (laughs) has been what the Cavs had to do. It's not because they're an incompetent organization. They just simply needed better players to replace Mm. when LeBron left. Mm. And now they have the better players that has the team back in a position to compete. I wouldn't say they're not completely incompetent. I mean, you We're guys not the Brooklyn it, Nets, Carl. You guys did spend a first round pick on Anthony Bennett, the first overall that, pick. That draft was terrible though. Let's be completely fair, Carl. Name me one of those top ten players that is doing well in the NBA right now. What was top, it? top ten draft picks. Twenty thirteen? Yes. Give me one. That's what I thought. Embiid? No. He wasn't a top ten pick, buddy. No, Embi- not in that draft. No, Embiid was like three years after. Giannis is who you're thinking of from this draft. And he was not 15. a top 10 pick. Yeah. And I he thought, was I thought- 15. No, Hol- Holiday was a bit sooner. Anyways, that'll wrap up the sports fan for today. Uh, for Dylan Westmeyer and Michael Roth, I'm Carl Blaylock. Darius Sethna and Michael Roth will be on tomorrow at 6.06. And be sure to tune in for Ohio State women's basketball, 845, right here as they look to punch their ticket to the Final Four. As you listen to W. A-T-H.